Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Duncan. What's up? Here we are again recording a new episode of Is There a Med for That? How are you feeling about our work so far? I'm feeling we re-recorded the uh, intro and outro, and I feel like I didn't quite stumble across my words as much. And I feel like our sound guy probably can edit it so it sounds coherent. Good. Yeah, Ben's doing a great job. I have faith in Ben. What you want to talk about? I thought it might be fun today to share with our listeners a little bit more about you and a little bit more about me and our role as parents and what we think about being parents. Self-disclosure. Self-disclosure. Yeah, I was thinking yesterday as we prepped for the podcast, which disclosure, self-disclosure here, our prepping is just literally thinking for a few minutes. And <laughs> this is a what great part of our podcast. <laughs> so I wrote this book and God, it took forever. A podcast, you just talk and hope people care about what you say. Right. You just jump on and be real. Right. But uh, I think right now we only have four followers, so... We have six. Six, okay. Yep. Six bonafide followers. I don't All even right. know who they are. Got to start somewhere. Yeah, so thinking about our episode today, I thought it would be fun. You know, I was thinking about being a parent and about our audience of parents and what what is hard about being a parent? Well, you and I know exactly what to do, so it's really not hard for us. <laughs> It's spoken like a true doctor. (laughs) Smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. You know, I I guess what came up for me, I'll take the lead on this. I don't know if you want to share stuff too at some point, Dunk. I thought maybe you'd just do all the talking. All right. Great. I'm good about talking about myself too, so I can do that. So thinking about being a parent, I have three boys. They're all 18 months apart. Charlie, Ben, and Noah. So I'm still in the early years of child rearing, but I have a, Charlie's four, Ben is almost three, and then Noah's just over one. And I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, the low hanging fruit of what's hard about being a parent is just being tired. Absolutely. The tired part. And I know I still have very young kids, but I, so I think it'll get a little bit better, but I, I remember even my mom staying up trying to like wait for me to come home when I was a teenager. I was a wild child, so maybe my kids will be wild children, but I definitely was. So thinking about the future, you know, I don't. I think it'll get better a little bit from the acute kind of baby stages, but I almost feel like I have to accept a perpetual being tired to some degree. Yep. Because life isn't just about all the things I need to get done. It's about, you know, being on, being on all the time. You know, parenting, it isn't. I think I got very groomed as you know, in my twenties and into my thirties. Cause I, my first child was born when I was 33. And so that was, you know, big chunk of my early adulthood was, you know, I'd go to work. And then when you get, when you're done with work, 
you're done. You know, sometimes you bring some work stuff home, but nothing like being a parent. And for me, initially, that was the hardest part about just being tired all the time and trying to figure out how do I how do I get rest? And I think initially too, and you get so little sleep, it's normal in the beginning to have periods where you feel down just because you're tired. Yeah. It's a job that's difficult to do if you're well rested, but I wasn't prepared for that either. I don't think, um, I had a much harder time when they were young. Um, and it's actually gotten much easier for me as they've gotten, old, as they've gotten older. And I don't know if that's kind of me. I mean, I, I like teenagers. But um, they become more self-sufficient. I had a hard time identifying with them when they were younger. Yeah. Um, but from my experience, f- for me, it's gotten easier as kids have gotten older. I've been able to get more sleep. They stay up later than I do now. They know how to turn off the lights even if they don't. <laughs> um, but... For, for me, it's gotten easier. And how old are your kids, Dunk? I've got 13 and just about to be 16. And I don't know where the time went, although it sure seemed like a long time when I was going through it. And I, mm. I heard a great saying, um, the, uh, what is it? The days are long, but the years are short. Yeah. Very poignant, too. Um, but I remember in the beginning... Uh, as they were very young and being sleep deprived and trying to do full-time work and everything, discovering a temper I had that I never knew I had. Mm. Um, Short fuse when you're tired. Yeah. It doesn't take much to push you over. Yeah. I've always been, I think, a pretty even in, as far as temper goes, but boy, would I lose it with them. Mm. Um, to the point, all I would do is yell. I'd sort of escalate. Mm-hmm. But I felt completely out of control, yep. and it would only last shortly, and I'd feel horrible about it afterwards. Right. Um, These little creatures that you probably love more than anything. Yeah, world, I felt like I just so traumatized them or something, and um, that's, that's a me thing. You discover a lot more. We talked about this yesterday. All of your own flaws and struggles, which are sort of easy to contain when you're by yourself, they're harder to contain when you're with a spouse mm. or loved one or partner and they're even harder to contain when uh you've got kids and it it just amplifies these things and it becomes evident in your own relationship with them and you're trying to sort of or i'm trying to hide them or work on them at the same time so i don't transmit them to them or make big mistakes right yeah and then you add in the sleep deprived when they're very young and that's asking a lot of yourself on top of just having relationship in general. Do you think for you, when you did get angry when your kids were young, how did you, did you just move on like and just keep practicing being nice after or like, how did you deal with that? What did you do? Um, I got better at removing myself and we talked about the first episode and taking space just walking yeah um or even communicating i'm (laughs) I'm about to blow up um that probably helped a little bit um but uh what was the question oh yeah afterwards i just feel crummy about myself for not being able to keep it together Mm -hmm. and then um uh yeah I, i think i was good in in apologizing afterwards 
even though I wanted to say you deserved it. <laughs> they really Not didn't deserve. Such a great apology, folks. <laughs> I'm sorry I upset you because you were a little shit, Aaron, right? I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I got good at apologizing for the part which was not being a good role model, which mm-hmm. was losing control or saying stuff I didn't mean yeah. or that kind of thing. Um, how about you? Yeah, I very much take the apology route as well. I try I, First, I do try to take space if I'm feeling overwhelmed, but I, you know, I feel lucky that I learned that a long time ago in life through WED. Um, but I think the apology, even with very little kids, even if they maybe don't understand it, we've started that habit in our family that if there is something we, we've we made an error with or didn't practice very well, we, we go back and talk to our kids about it and try to be transparent and role model for them. How do you repair a relationship? Um, we, yeah, it's a big part of our family. Even though our kids are little. Sounds silly like saying it, but it's true. Totally. And it's a little bit, it's a little freeing for me because it's a little bit licensed not to be so worried because I know if I screw up, um, being able to apologize gives you a little more latitude. And then I'm less likely to feel like, um, I I feel like I can be more myself. Right more authentic it's really true you know like it's a natural part of relationships relationships we've talked about it before the pattern or stages of harmony disharmony repair and if we're always so afraid to mess up we don't really i think harmony is going to be limited too because if anything is um limited i think it limits it on both ends it's a good point that ability to have to skillfully repair and reconcile disputes is essential to be able to enjoy true authentic highs in relationships as well. Just reading that book about um, from Franz de Waal, different the primatologist, and he highlights in a lot of his years of studying apes their ability to reconcile after disagreements just how important it is because they're highly social animals too. So it's a, a really deep biologically based behavior in humans is this skillful ability to repair. But it's fascinating, we've talked about it before, but I still am fascinated by, by how many people feel inadequate at it or are inadequate at it and how it really forms crappy relationships. I hate it to say like that, but. Um, one of the other thing that's very hard that isn't advertised you know people talk about it but until you're there it's uh hard to appreciate is co-parenting when Mm -hmm. you have different philosophies different approaches and you know one of our things that we've gotten better at is um not arguing in front of the kids which is very easy to do when you think that your spouse or partner is doing something completely uh counterproductive but but I was always sort of raised with uh, the minimum interference uh, minimum interference maximum support minimum interference so I'm uh, on the plus side I'm seen as a fun parent the negative I'm probably considered by some and occasionally spouses for example as uh, laissez-faire just let them do whatever they want, not really being a parent, being more of a friend, um, which is not where I'm going for either. But, um, and I'd say my wife is more um, on uh, 
keeping things in order and making sure asserting oneself as a parent and making sure that behavior is addressed. Right. Um, and on the plus side, that looks like being a better parent. And the negative side is it is it being overly controlling. Yeah. And that's a constant tension, I'd say, between us. And it's gotten better over the years. But. And I bet it will be a lifelong tension, right? Like it's when they say that in couples, about 80% of disagreements are unsolvable because they're about... In, uh, intrinsic differences in lifestyle, personality, or values. And that so a lot of our parenting stuff can fall into that 80% category, I think. Yeah. And how, but how do you disagree in a way that is still functional? How can you have conflict and still be functional and maybe even use the conflict for in a, as an opportunity? Because, I mean, even from this perspective, outside, you know, looking in as you share, you know, I right away see like that's diversity of experience for your kids. And that sounds like a great sort of complementary balance that you guys may strike as a, as a team. And so how can you have respect for each other's parenting styles and support each other in that approach and see that together, maybe you guys are the package your kids really need. I like that reframing. I like that. It feels good. We'll have to share this one with Marlene. Like, Isn't he nice? <laughs> I like this one. Yeah. I'm feeling better. We, we talked before the episode about this potentially being therapy for each other. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny doing therapy together or like on each other, like varying episodes? We'll do like Duncan's an hour long episode. Yeah. We can charge each other. Yeah. <laughs> Trade money every episode. Yeah. Co-parenting, I'm glad you brought that up because I think for me, Again, like I had children 33. To me, it's a little bit later. I know people have babies a lot later than that. Um, but by the time we decided to have kids, I had learned a lot about parenting. And not everyone has that opportunity. I think a lot of times you have kids and you don't realize like, oh, wow. But I'd worked with parents for a while. I was introduced to holistic education. And so we went into parenting. My husband and I, Paul, went into parenting together um, kind of with our values explicated, which was very helpful. Uh, but I can see how if we hadn't, and they aligned a lot, our philosophies do align. We have different strengths and weaknesses for sure. But I think who you pick on that journey uh, is so important. I think I would be, um, obviously you can absolutely parent children well as a single parent but I think I personally would really struggle because of my own personality um, and Paul adds a lot of patience and a laid-back approach or just like presence I guess I'm a little bit more like revved up constitutionally than Paul and so I think it's been great for our kids to have both definitely um, yeah that's one of the advantages of being different is you can trade off certain assignments. Yeah, right? yeah. An assignment that's harder, uh, either is just playing harder or is harder in the moment. Right. Because tired or hungry or stressed about work. Um, yeah, as a single parent, there's more to think about. Yeah. You have to be more uh, more involved, which is why we work so hard with, with um, families to try to get on the same page with parenting uh, even if they have different approaches um have some common themes and even i think what wed is very helpful for is that how can you communicate together about your differences so parent like our approach that we typically talk about parenting with we actually recommend it for all relationships so thinking of using the four r's with your partner as well 
So reflecting together, reminding each other we're on the same team. I think that could even be a great starting point if you're not ready to really think about shifting how you're parenting, if that seems overwhelming, trying to talk with your partner and by using the guidelines. I've only got two kids. You've got three. Yep, zone. I, I heard, yeah, I heard the advice, don't let them outnumber you. But uh, yeah, my... I think we, we stopped at two and my father looked at my son when he was about one and jumping on the table and throwing the toaster and sticking things in it and stuff. He said, I would have stopped at two as well. Um, but is three harder than two? It, it is in a lot of practical ways. Like you have two hands, even with dogs, because no like, I had a lot it of dogs to before. You got a foot too. Right. Yeah. But I'm not as skilled as my feet as my hands. I don't know. Maybe some people are. Um, but for me, like, yeah, just those practical things when they're both like when all three are young, you can't really hold everyone's hand all at the same time crossing the street. Hmm. Um, I think I really like having three for a lot of reasons as well, though. There's some challenges to having three that are practical, but in just like time and energy and resources nowadays, right? It costs money to raise a family and each mouth to feed costs more money. And my boys eat a lot. All three of them eat a lot. And they're like little people still. So I don't even know what the teenage years are going to bring. But I like having three because it feels more like a group. And so the the tension between two, you know, it's like, um, I think it can be kind of, at least with my two, first two they are there can be intense competition but it's incredible too because they can be very cooperative as well but i think the three adds another just factor to it that can be a balancing piece and also our third is actually very appears to be very good natured kind of like a born optimist it seems Noah. yeah yeah he seems pretty happy when I see him. Yeah, he laughs and he's just, so that's been great. I'm sure if, you know, if the personality was different, it, I might have different things to say about having three kids, but it's definitely always a party to some degree. There's like, it's never just like, and again, a boys, but it's always something going on. Uh, it sounds like yours are similar. Mine are absolute best friends and worst enemies. Mm. And uh, I think when they were young and, physically fought I've got a girl and a boy but uh, the girl was always bigger I said at some point my son's gonna be bigger than you and that's happened Um, there was one particularly telling moment when uh, (laughs) she was picking on him and um, he'd finally had enough and I don't remember how long seven and maybe eight and what would be five or something and he just punched her in the mouth mm. yep she was bleeding there you go and the tides had turned <laughs> the dynamics changed a little bit she's a little more careful after that yep but um yeah best friends worst enemies i think of something my grandfather told me you know he's like from the the greatest generation ever right he's very um representative of that generation he's great and he has five kids and he's, he was like the warm parent, very warm and um, loving and tough guy, you know. I think Was he World War II? Yes. And he also, like, for example, when I think my Aunt Sally was born, he was like at a bar or something and got into a bar fight and, you know, shows up with a bloody lip at the end. Even back then, the guys didn't come in the delivery room and all that. So, but very much like a tough guy. And, um, but he always says to me, you know, like when they have disagreements, 
you got to sometimes just stay out of it. Let them figure it out a little bit. And obviously, to some degree, you have to step in if someone's being hurt or if there's a real power imbalance. But I think I've tried to integrate that in and allow them to self-regulate their relationship more than interjecting often. And I think for some of the we have boys so it often I mean girls do too but with our boys it gets very physical sometimes you know like a rough housing and yeah. tumbling and I think it as a parent I've really seen how having siblings teaches you so much about how to share how to have conflict how to repair and so we try to use the overarching model of WED, you know, teaching healthy apologies, teaching, taking responsibility for your behavior, and then allowing them to actually practice it in their, their world. Here's a question. Yeah. WED has been designed really to be, I think, the way I think of it is a, um, uh, a sort of, um, what's the word, explicated approach of good parenting styles. I wonder what, if you would have, uh, what it would have been like had you not met WED? Would you be doing the same things? Would things be different? Yeah, I imagine they probably would have been very different. I don't think I would have found the right husband because I think <laughs> WED has allowed, it allowed me to practice different behaviors. So the big part of WED that helped me become the parent I am is being was being able to self-regulate better and to have healthier relationships with people and to look for people who wanted to cooperate and have a healthy relationship. It helped me really value relationships way more. I always thought relationships were important, but I didn't understand the power of constructive, positive relationship and people who valued that. And so I think that was a huge yeah, I don't even know if I would have had kids if I hadn't found WED because I was very adamant I didn't want kids for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I then can... I found the right partner and it seemed to make sense in our world together. And life has not been the same since? No, no. Yeah. I should tell the listeners that Victoria is not allowed to have any more kids. Yeah. <laughs> We've discussed this many times. I think, was it just, it was twice I think I was taken rather by surprise um, that uh, a key linchpin employee uh, it was suddenly unavailable for a period of time that I did not anticipate. Yeah. So I just want to yep. reaffirm on air with all of our listeners the as commitment. witnesses. Yep. <laughs> See how dedicated I am, Dunk? Direction means so much to me. <laughs> um, there was a part... Oh, yeah, because that's right. Because thinking back even as like an employee, you know, and just in my life in general as well, but for the past five years, I've either been pregnant or breastfeeding. Five years. I don't know if guys really appreciate that. No, I, I wouldn't have put... Is it breastfeeding? Uh, that, why did you bring that up? <laughs> because thinking about like even just like the commitment, the time commitment, gotcha. the sort of like... Um, it's sort of symbolic of... Just how hijacked you can be. Right. Like your body, right? Like just even the pregnancy and breastfeeding. I have to knock on your door before I go in. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because the baby has been here. All three of them have spent time at Direction, yep. which is really awesome. I think Paul and I often reflect on how lucky our kids are to have had that experience and how lucky we are to have had that experience to be able to have our kids integrate at our work and to also have it be a place where um, it's about families and it's about healthy mental health and, you know, positive community. It's been a very unique experience. I remember when I was at, um, I had two home births and then my middle guy, Ben, um, was an emergency C-section. And so we were in the hospital. It was like this whole new world. And 
I had mentioned that, oh my, you know, I'm still breastfeeding my first son and he gets to come into work with me. So, you know, cause my husband is there too. Who, so he takes care of him when I'm doing work. And the lady like wanted to know all about you, the nurse lady, like and about direction and really? how wonder she just thought it was so wonderful. Cause so many women don't have that opportunity. <sighs> I know in other countries, I believe oh, it's yeah. more normalized that women maybe bring babies into work just for some periods. And I'm also reading a little bit about how more women and higher positions often have like work nannies who come in and so that the baby can be there. So you're not losing that time, but you're not so, you're also not losing out on your career because that has been a deficit for women for a long time. Like, cause if traditionally for those, the last five years, maybe you women either have to sacrifice some of their career or being with their babies. You know, if that's, those are the five years of when I've decided to dedicate my life to raising our family, starting our family. But. I think, yeah, Sweden has weeks of paternity leave as yeah. well, mandated. Um, yeah, super important. I feel like more Americans are trending towards that, like men are way more involved in yep. being part of the support for their wife or partner, which is great. So important. Yeah. But yeah, it takes, you know, I think thinking about you as an employer and having an employer who's understanding about, you know, family obligations and that alone can alleviate a lot of stress on people. And cause often your careers are at odd with being a parent. Yep. And that's another thing. I mean, I'm very lucky in terms of working here, even just being myself, like in the world. I remember one time, like I, like the first time I drove without a baby in the car after like months of always having the baby, I felt like I was like, doing something wild. Did you go faster? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, I think it was the music was loud. It was the music like, you know, that like I would just listen to to feel like fun. Free. And, yeah. Yeah. And this idea of, geez, like I'm, I'm also someone who's pretty conscientious. So like, I like to keep the house functioning. I like things to kind of, I like to work. I actually enjoy really like working and doing things and accomplishing things. And that's been very hard with children. Oh yeah, like you have to give up any illusions of, well, I've had to give up any illusions of um, eliminating chaos. <laughs> it's just a chaotic yeah. thing. Yeah, and how do you find some sort of order within that chaos? And what has been helpful with that, like the emotional and relationship yeah. part of it? And then it's just life skills in terms of like, how do you balance work? How do you balance fulfilling other aspects that you need personal nourishment in, whether it's through, you know, you play music or I enjoy reading certain books. How do you find that space to also still be somewhat who you value in the world other than just a parent, which I want to role model for my kids too, being a whole person. Um, one more question. Um, I don't know if I have a single, I have a question I should say. Um, do you think, and in what ways, being in the mental health field as you are, how has that helped you as a parent? And in what ways hasn't it helped you as a parent? Yeah, I think um, mental health in general, I mean, for a while, I think, because I worked with adolescents and teenagers and kids, I think it can skew it a little bit sometimes. Like if um, maybe you don't know exactly like what, healthy development looks like or the uninterrupted mental health like there's no like mental health problem um so maybe could give it a, um 
just like what you think is normal. Like you got, I think you got to expose yourself to also healthy development and children as well. Um, I think that would be just one thing I've, I've been mindful of is cause I also have some friends who homeschool their kids. And I remember when I first met them, I'm like, wow, like these kids are really different than a lot of the kids I've met. And I think part of it was that they were homeschooled, but they were very mature. Like they could have a conversation with me as an adult in a very mature way. And just felt like they were kind of, they were different constitutionally. And I think some of it was a homeschooling piece and the way that they were being educated in life, like in being well-rounded. But I also remember, and this was like 10 years ago, remember being like, oh, and also too, like I'm used to being around kids who are struggling. And so making sure I'm not always comparing just to that. Um, and then I think maybe sometimes at the by the end of the day, I'm a little bit done talking to people. Um, you know, like it's not like I work with books or computers all day or engines. I, you know, like we have conversation. We hold a lot of space for others. And I think sometimes by the end of the day, I'm just done with that. Um, cause and I emotional do emotional issues. Yeah. And I also too, just kind of like quiet. Like I am, I do like reflection in that sort of space and you don't get that a lot when you talk to people for a living. Right. And so I, I think that's been a little challenging being in the field, um, wanting to just like not do the whole people thing for a little bit. Um, but then you remind yourself that your kid's only young for so long right. and, you know, don't wish that You'll away. Miss it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the pros, I think probably just that piece about, I love being, one of the things I like about being in the mental health field is that you want to be a good role model, right, for good mental health. And so I've taken care of myself in a lot of ways that have helped me have good mental health. And that's made me a strong parent, I think. What about for you? For me... Probably the biggest plus has been seeing the range of issues kids can have and feeling less an anxiety about, is this a huge problem? Um, because I guess I see huge problems and I see little problems. And it's just a sense of having experience with kids going through different things. And I think uh, it's probably like a, a dark in another field where you've seen so much of it, particularly the smaller things. Mm -hmm aren't so worrisome so right. the perspective Definitely. helps a, a lot yeah. um, as far as liabilities I think it's easy to get a false sense that because you do this you're somehow ex an expert in your own kids mm. um, I can see how that'd be an easy trap to fall into for example think that you can be your therapist for your kid mm -hmm. um, and there may be skills that you learn that will help you communicate with your kid but you're not going to be your kid's therapist. That's not going to happen. Right. Uh, you just can't be objective about your own kids. Yep. All right. Well, I feel pretty good about being done talking. You? <laughs> Let's stop this Let's episode. I've had it. <laughs> Let's talk about other people's kids. Yes. Tune in next time. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Is There a Med for That? For more information about our podcast and our clinical work, visit our website at medforthat.com. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com. We'd love to answer some of your questions on air. Have a great day.